From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The director of the Office of Personnel Management is out. Dale Cabinus has resigned after six months on the job. Federal News Network reports OPM Deputy Director Michael Regas will lead the agency on an acting basis. More on this story in a moment. The White House has new guidance for operations during the pandemic. Acting OPM Director Russ Vogt says agencies should minimize face-to-face -face interactions. Agency heads now have broad authority to move staffs around and implement policies that minimize risk. Dozens of members of Congress are asking President Trump to sign an executive order to mandate telework for all eligible federal employees and contractors. A letter from, members, uh, from the members to the White House signed by Congressman Jerry Conley notes that OMB encourages agency heads to maximize telework flexibility. No word yet on a response from the Trump administration. The resignation of Dale Cabinus as director of the Office of Personnel Management comes as the agency responds to the coronavirus pandemic and federal employees navigate telework options. Max Steyer's president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service. Max, thanks very much for coming on the program. What do you think the significance uh, is of this at the time that it's happening now? Thanks for coming on, Max. Well, it's obviously not good news. Leaders matter and continuity of leadership really matters. The Office of Personnel Management is a critical organization. It's one of the very few that has enterprise-wide responsibilities across the government. And in my view, it's got responsibility of the most important element of government, and that is helping with the management of the federal workforce, the people that are on the front lines with dealing with all kinds of issues, and obviously, first and foremost right now, response to coronavirus. A lot of people have talked about the timing of this relative to the coronavirus. The timing to me strikes me as, as maybe more important because we're getting close to the end of the first term of the Trump administration when it becomes harder to identify people who are willing to take these jobs on a permanent basis. I don't think there's anybody that thinks that Mike Regas is not going to be a great acting OPM director, but as you and your colleagues at the partnership have been tracking, there are a lot of acting officials all across government now. Yes, and I think, as you suggest, um, Mike Regas has a lot of talents, and he's terrific. Uh, the challenge for anybody, no matter how capable you are, is that it's just not the same thing to be in an acting role as to be a confirmed individual selected by the president and, and then having been voted on by the Senate. And my metaphor, I may have stated this to you before, it's a bit like the substitute teacher. They can be an amazing educator, but by and large, they are not going to get the same kind of respect as someone who is the full-time teacher uh, and they themselves will have challenge in trying to think about the more difficult issues and the longer term ones and in this context more than anything else i believe this is about teamwork and so much of what we need to see the very big problems and this surely counts as one require activities by agencies across the board and that requires relationship um, from leaders across agencies and that's something that we need to see more of right now. There really are some exceptional things that are being done in government around telework, for example, at the Patent Trademark Office, at NASA. Those lessons need to be shared and understood by the broader workforce, and we would actually see, I think, um, a lot of good things come from that. We talked a little bit before we went on the air, Max. You have been studying this issue, this whole-of-government approach through 9-11, 
through Katrina and through any number of other different crises like we're experiencing now. What are the lessons learned from those experiences that might apply in a situation like we're in today with COVID-19? Well, I think one, um, I'll start actually with a difference if that's okay. And that Please. is that I, I think that um, we have to be prepared for this to be the long haul. 9-11 uh, obviously was extraordinarily disruptive, um, but the operating rhythms were able to return not to what they had been previously, but to a steady state uh, you know, in, in fairly short order. Um, I think we have to be prepared here, at least prepared again for the worst, that this could be going on for many, many, many months. And therefore, I think that we need to be investing in the here and now and getting it right. And it is not easy uh, when you are um, working remotely, when you are managing folks remotely. A lot of times the energy is going into thinking about the technical infrastructure, when again, it's the actual management requirements that are quite a bit different that are more severe. And I would just you know, add that federal employees are so vital to our capabilities as a society and moments like these, hopefully people will understand how important it is that we invest and respect our public servants. And many, many of them are being put into a very challenging situation of having to balance their own personal or their family safety against serving the public. And you know they're not alone in that. Obviously, healthcare workers and others are doing the same thing. Uh, but it's an extraordinary position to have to be put into. And I think that the lesson, hopefully, in 9-11 is we're stronger together. We actually have to learn from each other. This is not going to be easy. And in my view, this is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with for a long period of time. What have you seen in the response to this that you like so far, Max? What has happened so far that has served the federal workforce well? So just by way of personal anecdote, um, I, I went out for work last week to Los Angeles uh, for, for, you know, whether that was a right choice or not, it was for something important on the work side. I flew out on Monday, my flight was two thirds full. I flew back on Thursday, my flight was one third full. And yet in the airports going out and coming back, the TSA officers were there in 100% force. And so what I like is the extraordinary way in which yet again, federal employees are stepping up. They're doing their jobs in the face of a lot of challenge, not a lot of good information uh, and in face of real risk. Um, so that's something that I think is incredibly positive. Um, you know, I think more broadly speaking, uh, we need to see, you know, more clarity about um, how do uh, federal employees, how they should be responding. I think we need to push aside some of the process and rules uh, in terms of making sure that whether someone's telework eligible under the old regime or not, that people are allowed to telework and, and helped in teleworking. Um, and I think we also need some clarity around issues like ensuring that federal employees know that their jobs are not at risk. Uh, that's something that I've heard from some uh, federal employees that they're on the front lines. Um, they know that some of them are gonna be pulled back and teleworking, uh, there'll be different demands on them, but they should know and they should be assured that their jobs are not at risk. We should not want those folks having to be concerned about that. We should want them 100% focused on serving the public. Max, thanks as always for coming on. It's great to have you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Our coverage of the impact of the coronavirus on the federal marketplace continues at 8 and 11 every night this week on WJLA 24-7 News. And we want to hear from you. You can send us your questions to info at govmatters.tv or tweet us at govmatters.tv. 
Up next, how the coronavirus is impacting the census. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the virus impacts the count and the Bureau's plan for telework. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Census Bureau has a new COVID-19 internal task force. The Bureau's goal is to keep up business as usual during the pandemic and to prioritize safe, secure and on time operations. Michael Cook is chief of public information for the Census Bureau. Michael, thanks very much for coming on the program. What steps are you taking right now? What is this task force doing to enable your team to continue as normal operations as possible? The internal task force that we've created on COVID-19 is looking at um, the daily guidance that we're receiving from the CDC, as well as the local public health authorities to ensure the safety not only of the public that we come into contact with, but also our staff. What are the most important things that you think your workforce should be doing now to make sure that they can keep to as much as normal as possible uh, normal operations and still continue to do the work while staying safe. We have communicated to our staff that if their job allows them to work from home to telework, we have highly suggested that they do telework. But as you know, the Census Bureau has a lot of operations, a lot of staff across the country that are conducting surveys and censuses. There's 130 surveys that are conducted on an annual basis. The 2020 census is the biggest one. So we are encouraging people to practice social distancing in everything that they do. We've altered our training, so it's virtual now. We're hiring people, bringing them on board because right now there are invitations that are hitting mailboxes across the country and if people respond online by phone and by mail we won't have to actually follow up with them so we're encouraging people to respond to the 2020 census now yeah I'm starting to see anecdotal reports of people receiving their notifications in the mail and being able to go online and fill those out um, what kind of impact do you think that will have on operations? Do you have a sense yet of what response, what ex you expect response to be online, phone, and via mail? Well, these mailers, when they hit the mailbox, um, they're encouraging people to respond. Today, we have 10 million households that have already responded to the 2020 census. This is in line with all of our projections for response, so we're, we're pleased with that. Um, we want to make sure that people understand that we are listening and following the guidance of local public health authorities to ensure that we're practicing social distancing, so we're encouraging people to respond on their own because a self-response is the best response. And when everybody responds, then the seats in the House of Congress can be apportioned properly, and also decision makers can make informed decisions for the next 10 years for social services that impact your daily lives. Michael, you mentioned the telework encouragement that you've given at Census Bureau. Are you doing that on a case-by-case -case basis, analyzing whether people can telework? Are, are you broadly suggesting to everybody in the organization if you can do it? How are you evaluating who's eligible to telework and who's not? 
We have a mission to conduct the census um, by December 31st, 2020, 2020, to turn over um, the population counts to the Congress and President. So on a case-by-case -case basis, we're talking to staff, and if their job, their role, allows for them to do their work from home, we're highly encouraging that. But as you know, there are some individuals that um, have to come into work to, to, to conduct their work so that the, uh, the census continues to, be, uh, to operate. Um, so on a case by cases, uh, we're looking at that. We're making adaptations to all of our operations to ensure the safety of the public as well as our staff. Do you have a sense yet of how many employees are able to take advantage of the telework opportunity? Or is it too early for you to tell yet what, how many of your folks are able to work from remote locations? Every day changes, just like the assessments, the advice, and the guidance that's being given by CDC. We're adapting every day and making changes to our workforce and the guidance that we're giving to our workforce and creating different operational procedures to increase the opportunities for them to work remotely and to practice social distancing. So the amount of staff that, that, that can work from home, uh, the amount of staff that actually still need to come into the office, that's ever-changing, but first and foremost, we're balancing getting an accurate and complete count and conducting the census on time, but also knowing that we have to look out for the health and the safety of the staff and the public. What's They're your, number one. What's your sense of how the, the infrastructure has held up, the IT infrastructure and so on, for the folks that are teleworking? Any issues there? We've seen reports at some agencies where they've run into some, some challenges. Our IT infrastructure is intact. All systems are go. Uh, we are conducting the census. We have received 10 million responses from households already today. Um, that hits the targets that we have projected. Um, our systems are up. They're running. 2020census.gov is the site that people can go to to learn more information as well. You can go to 2020census.gov and respond to the 2020 census. Michael, uh, we just have about a minute left. Anything that you've had to do regarding the physical infrastructure, the locations where people have to come to work, any changes you've had to make there? We are currently following the guidance of local public health authorities um, when and where uh, there is a need uh, to alter uh, our infrastructure or uh, our, our actual physical buildings. We're following their guidance to ensure that the, the workspace is actually safe. The current situation at hand underscores the need for accurate census data. So when you're invited to respond, we encourage you to respond now online, by phone, and by mail. It's easy. It only takes 10 minutes. Michael Cook, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. The Pentagon's ban on travel for DOD employees includes temporary duty assignments, permanent station changes, and restrictions for hiring civilian personnel. For more guidance on policies for members of the military, Lernus Bear, Principal Director for Military Personnel Policy. Lernus, thanks very much for coming on this morning. How definitive is the stop movement order? How are you evaluating exceptions or exemptions for uniformed personnel? So just as in most of our personnel policies, we describe uh, the broad underlying uh, guidance and then give commanders in the field the flexibility to implement on a case-by-case -case basis. And that's no different here. Uh, the stop movements uh, uh, was laid out for 60 days to allow for uh, securing um, uh, safe and secure transportation for our military personnel coming back from overseas and to establish the safety protocols and reception procedures 
that our stateside uh, installations are going to need in order to receive those personnel. How is this affecting PCSs that may be happening in the next 30 to 60 days or that we're already in progress, that kind of thing? Sure. So for, uh, for the ones that are, we're going from one, uh, one place in the United States to another place in the United States, those have been delayed for 60 days uh, unless an exception is granted. And there could be reasons for mission essentiality that uh, a commander might grant an exception. Uh, there could also be reasons uh, for humanitarian reasons or uh, for extreme hardship that was placed that we would go ahead and, and let that occur. Think of uh, if an individual's household goods and vehicles had already shipped and, and they assess that the gaining location uh, doesn't put the member uh, at increased risk, a uh, commander would have the authority to grant those, those types of exceptions. With regard to overseas, uh, if you're in a level three country, uh, are going to a level three country, then we have delayed those those uh, uh, individuals from coming back home. Therefore, we're de also delaying those individuals that are stateside going to the overseas location. Uh, if you're in a level two CDC designated level two country, uh, the military sponsor uh, does transit uh, to and from as long as the command determines its mission essential. The family, however, is delayed or uh, deferred for about 60 days until we can better assess the situation. Learners, a lot more we'd like to cover, but I appreciate your time today. We're out of time. Thanks for coming on. Up next, the do's and don'ts for taking time off during the coronavirus pandemic. Straight ahead on Government Matters, helping federal employees and managers understand leave policies. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Office of Management and Budgets told all agencies to offer maximum telework flexibilities to federal workers, but some essential employees won't be able to leave their posts. Ricardo Pitts-Wiley's partner at Federal Practice Group. He has advice for federal employees trying to navigate leave during the pandemic. Ricardo, thanks for coming back on the program. What should federal employees know? What are the kind of the big factors about leave during a time like this? Uh, well, it depends on uh, whether you have been exposed uh, to the coronavirus or whether you have been uh, quarantined because of the coronavirus. Uh, if you've been exposed uh, to the coronavirus, but you are asymptomatic, and if you have been quarantined uh, under the direction of a public health official, then you may be entitled to what's called weather and safety leave. Uh, essentially, this is leave that is provided to the employee uh, at the expense of the federal government uh, because that particular person is not able to commute into work. Now, obviously, uh, if an employee is able to telework, uh, then they would not have a need for weather and safety leave. Um, if someone has been exposed to the coronavirus and they are symptomatic, uh, then they are entitled to sick leave. Um, if they exhaust their sick leave, there's other various types of leave that they may be entitled to, uh, such as advanced sick leave. They can also use their annual leave uh, for medical purposes, advanced medical, uh, excuse me, advanced annual leave. Um, there's uh, also types of leave that can be donated to an employee, uh, whether it be sick leave or annual leave. Uh, and if an employee was uh, exposed uh, while they were uh, on the job, 
uh, then they may also be entitled to workers' compensation. Um, something that I want to uh, alert your viewers to is uh, that the uh, Congress has recent, uh, recently um, implemented some legislation that would provide for a per, uh, emergency paid leave as well as emergency sick leave. Uh, so that's uh, something else that would be available to employees um, during this time period. It strikes uh, me that the big challenge here, Ricardo, is for folks who have run out of sick leave, maybe they were sick back in the fall or over the winter, something like this comes along and they're really bumping up against their, uh, their sick leave time and it, that it doesn't quite seem logical that they would have to use their vacation time to make up for sick time that they really couldn't help. Uh, that's true. And, uh, you know, these federal government agencies do have quite a bit of flexibility in terms of what type of leave they approve for their employees. Uh, so employees may not have to exhaust all of their own leave. Uh, they may be able to, again, utilize uh, some of the leave that's being provided uh, through this most recent uh, legislative action. Um, uh, but then also leave can be uh, advanced uh, to employees or it can even be provided uh, to employees by the government. Uh, at no cost to the employee. We're really tight on time. I apologize, Ricardo, and I'd love to have you come back talk more about this, but it strikes me that the most important thing here to consider is that employees have options even if they think they might not have options. That's what I think I'm hearing. Am I on the right track? You're right. Uh, employees and managers have options with respect to how to deal with this process. Um, and I encourage employees and managers to work together and, and to communicate with each other about solutions during this time period uh, and, and be uh, creative in their thinking about how to deal with all of this and, and still try to maintain some sense of normalcy and uh, be able to meet the mission of each agency. Ricardo, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you back. Thank you, sir. Take care. Be safe. I'm Sharice Hanner. You can now stay on top of all things that matter to the business of government anywhere, anytime. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.